Good morning, everybody. What a treat to get to be with you all today. Um, I am coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I live, and uh, sending greetings from the land of the Anishinaabe and Dakota peoples toward you. I am often in the position of guest preaching um, for congregations around the country because I work in the national UUA office. And um, so often when I, when I am preaching, whether it's online or in person, um, we do a time for all ages where I will ask the kids what they, um, what they know about their body. So I'll start with a, with a question like, tell me something that your body did today. That was amazing. Kids will talk about, well, oh, I almost tripped down the stairs and I caught myself or I tickled my sister, or um, I started laughing while I was eating cereal and it almost came out my nose, but it did it. <laughs> it's hilarious. And then I'll ask them things about what do you love about your body? What's something incredible that your body does for you? They'll say things like, I love my arms because they can squeeze my mom or my hair is my superpower. It's amazing. And I love it. And it's big and it's bushy and it's curly and it's just amazing. Or they'll say, my favorite part of me is my feet because they are what help me bounce and skip and run and hop and walk. What's amazing to me whenever I lead a story like this is how quickly the children are able to talk about how beautiful their bodies are, how sacred their bodies are without using those words, but they know they know. And I am so grateful to our Unitarian Universalist religious educators who, um, from such an early age, are teaching that message to our kids and to UU parents who are helping their children understand the sacredness of their own bodies. When I think about the messages that I got about my body growing up, they weren't always like this. I invite you to think about this with me too. Think about the parents and relatives, teachers, friends, popular culture, maybe the religion of your childhood. Did you learn that you were always the boss of your own body? That you got to decide what to feed it, how to dress and present it, how and whether to interact with people around you? Did you receive affirmation that no matter what your body looked like or what it could do, it was worthy of protection and care and pride. Did you have models who showed you what it looked like to really live in your own skin, free and joyful in the sacred gift of your embodiment? I hope so. I hope those were the messages that you got. I know that they weren't always the messages that I got though. And I think that is true for many of us. None of us were consistently encouraged to be fully, sacredly, autonomously embodied human beings, unfortunately. Dominant American culture certainly doesn't hold those values. And whether or not we grow up in a UU church with a affirming theology of the body, all of us are exposed to subtle and explicit messages, declaring that bodies are objects to be exploited and controlled, subdued and commodified. From the day we're born, we are taught what our bodies should look like, what they should be capable of doing, how they should relate to the bodies of others. 
Now, what we learned about our body's relative freedom and worth and power probably depends a lot at the sex we were assigned at birth, our family culture, our religion. But those three American pillars of capitalism, cis-heterosexism, and white supremacy, all of which fundamentally reject the idea that each and every person's body should be sacred and free, these ideologies live in the helixes of our nation's cultural DNA. They shape every aspect of our relationship to our bodies and to each other's, our whole lives long. One way of telling the history of the United States is to talk about the ways that certain groups of people have worked to control the bodies of other groups of people. European colonizers forcibly displacing indigenous people onto reservations and into boarding schools. Slave owners kidnapping and exploiting the bodies of people of African descent for profit. Men empowered by law to control the fertility and the movement and the sexuality of their wives and daughters. Eugenicists and medical professionals, several of which are our religious ancestors in Unitarianism folks who experimented on and forcibly sterilized poor and black and indigenous and disabled people. Legislators, law enforcement, conspiring to criminalize everything from migration to sex, to blackness, to poverty, to abortion, to mental illness, using their power to segregate and impoverish and incarcerate entire communities of people. My friends, politics are theological, and how we treat the people is a reflection of something called our theological anthropology. That's just a million-dollar seminary term for what we believe about human nature and the human body, the relationship of humans to each other, to the earth, and to the divine. So for a minute, I'm going to dive into some old-timey religion. And I want you to stick with me. I promise I will get back to the gloriousness of our sacred bodies in just a few minutes. But here we go. From the time of European contact on the indigenous lands that are now known as North America, settler colonizers used their religious beliefs to justify the theft of land from native people and to create a system of governance infused with their worldviews. European Calvinism and Puritanism, Puritanism had a very particular theological anthropology, which basically held that all bodies are sinful. They need to be controlled and restrained and punished, especially bodies that weren't white, male, straight, able, and wealthy. For these folks, the Calvinists, the Puritans, it all went back to the fall of Adam and Eve. In their very flawed interpretation of the Genesis story in the Bible, in spite of having it really good in the Garden of Eden, those first humans disobeyed God. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, they realized that they were naked and they were very ashamed. And God got angry, expelled them from the garden and condemned them to toil in the fields, to suffer through childbirth, to age, and to die. So not only is embodiment, full human embodiment, the punishment for Adam and Eve's disobedience, that punishment is passed on to subsequent generations as 
original sin, the blemish of corruption and condemnation that defiles the soul of every human born sense. Now, you follow that lineage, that strand of Christianity, to the belief that Jesus Christ was sent by God to atone for this inherent sinfulness of humanity. Through Jesus's violent death at the hands of the state, some people, the elect few that are predestined by a fickle and unknowable deity, they're spared and saved. The trick is though, that we humans can't know who the elect are and who are the reprobates, the one who are gonna get sent to hell no matter what they say, how they act, what they do. So the best we can do is try to act right, to obey those impossibly strict rules, to deny ourselves the pleasures of the flesh, to hope we won't spend eternity dangling over the fires of hell, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Pause, check in with your body because ugh, yuck, that theology is so awful. When I preach this sermon, I always tense my shoulders up and I have to like shake it out. So please feel free. Just feel how that felt in your body to hear about that. Here's why it matters though. Here's why I bring it up. It matters that we remember that so many of the so-called founding fathers of this nation, those early folks who decided what our system of governance was going to be, it matters that they believe these things because if you believe that having a body is a punishment, that everyone is born broken and defiled, if you take it for granted that God is willing to grant some people eternal life while others will literally burn in hell, if you believe that bodies are sinful and shameful and need to be constrained and controlled, then you set up a government that is empowered to act like a punitive and vengeful God. You don't bat an eye at structuring a society that is stratified between those who have a right to determine what happens to their own bodies and those who need to be dominated and punished. You set things up in such a way that very few people have control to determine what happens to their own bodies. And you set up a society in which very few people have access to power and resource and agency. And everybody else is treated as disposable and undeserving and unworthy of love and care. So you can see why it was so very radical in this context to that our universalist Christian ancestors rejected that God who would pick and choose between the saved and the damned. Instead, the universalists proclaimed a God of love so extravagantly generous that they would never let a single person be separated from God's embrace. They preached a divine whose will for their human children was abundance and pleasure and flourishing, not just of the spirit, but also of the flesh. The universalists declared that we are all born from love, that this brief intermingling of soul and body that we call life is a precious gift, and that God's love will welcome everyone back after we take our last breaths. And because of this profound truth, the universalists believed that the only hell we need to concern ourselves with is the one we create now here on earth. The human made hells 
that prevent us from experiencing the thriving and belovedness that God wills for each and every one of us here in this life. Early American Christian universalism was a radical departure from the predominant theologies of the 18th and 19th centuries. Our religious forebears were regularly accused of heresy. They were seen as fringe lunatics. But eventually, little u universalism, the theology, not the denomination, it won out in the culture wars. Today, if you go into almost any mainline Protestant church, Presbyterian, ELCA, United Church of Christ, Episcopalian, you are not going to hear fire and brimstone. Instead, you will hear about God's unfathomable love. And much like us Unitarian Universalists, most mainline Christians are putting that universalist theology into practice here and now in this world. Like us, they are trying to engage in good anti-racism work to combat poverty and unjust immigration laws, fighting for climate justice and affirming queer and trans people's holy belovedness among the human family. Today's religious left includes far more than Christians and Christian adjacent folks like Unitarian Universalists, of course. There are also progressive Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Wiccans and indigenous practitioners who all share the belief that every human is worthy of love, that therefore we must fight together for values-based change, to win policy victories and to shape mainstream culture in a variety of arenas from civil rights to environmental justice, to abortion access, to LGBTQ equality and gender equity. Now, I don't have to tell you that the battles nonetheless are still raging over whose values will shape the laws of our nation. And the religious left is undeniably losing the war right now. Rooted in that same old school theological anthropology, today's radical religious right still has an agenda of punishment and domination and control that is literally killing people. Whether it's passing state laws prohibiting trans people from changing their gender markers or playing sports or accessing gender affirming care, or the crop of abortion bans that have swept the nation after the fall of Roe last year, or making it a crime for school teachers to talk openly about gender and sexuality and racial identity in classrooms. Power is increasingly concentrated in the hands of a small minority who are governing out of the belief that most people should not have control over their own bodies. In my paid work, I have the privilege of serving as the organizing strategy director at our Unitarian Universalist Association, where, as Joe said earlier, I lead the team that holds the outward-facing justice work of our association under the banner of Side with Love. Nice shirt, by the way, Joe. At its core, our work stems from that universalist declaration that all of us are worthy of love that our faith compels us to fight for a world in which every person can live free and thrive. Side with Love has long organized Unitarian Universalists as part of movements for immigration justice, racial justice, climate justice, democracy. And this past year in particular, UUs across the country have had to redouble our efforts to fight for LGBTQ gender and reproductive justice for bodily autonomy 
things that a lot of liberal folks mistakenly took for granted. Once again, here we are well into the 21st century and our theological anthropology of inherent worth and dignity is once again radical, profoundly countercultural, and our liberatory values are desperately needed in the face of the radical religious rights deadly agenda. Fortunately, Unitarian Universalists are far from alone in holding these core values. We are fighting shoulder to shoulder with our progressive religious siblings and both the LGBTQIA liberation movement and the reproductive justice movement, both of which at their cores declare that every person should have the power to make decisions about their own body. The kinds of kinship and family structures they wanna create and belong to, the resources they need to be safe and supported and free. As we draw from these rich theological and organizing traditions, Side with Love is moving ahead full throttle with our Uplift Action campaign. Uplift Action is our newest campaign that focuses on the intersections of LGBTQ, gender, and reproductive justice. And its tagline is simply, because every body is sacred. Whether we're talking about bodily autonomy for queer and trans folks, for women and femmes, for people with uteruses, and of course, bringing a racial justice and disability justice lens to all of that work. Our Unitarian Universalist faith declares that being an embodied person with self-determination is perhaps the greatest gift of the human condition, a gift so precious that we must defend and protect it at all costs. This past year, the work has been huge and it has been uphill. Uplift Action is actively working with congregations like yours that are fighting these oppressive state bills, criminalizing people who are seeking to receive gender affirming or abortion care, or in states like California, fighting for expanded access, expanded resources to support people who need to access gender affirming care, abortion services, and more. Uplift Action has already trained more than 350 UU congregational teams through our three-part training series on congregational reproductive justice organizing. Through our UU The Vote campaign, we're gearing up for electoral fights that will put abortion and trans rights on the ballot in places like Florida and Ohio. We've got folks ready to move on ballot initiatives and school board races and so many places where these decisions get made. And Uplift Action and Side with Love are in deep conversation with multi-faith coalitions of partners who are working hard to make sure that every person has the spiritual, financial, and logistical support they need to access healthcare, even when that means helping people travel across state lines because care has been criminalized in their home state. I can't talk publicly a whole lot about that work, but know that it is happening behind the scenes. You all know how high the stakes are, how imperative it is for progressive people of faith to bring our life-giving, life-affirming, life-saving values of bodily autonomy, of inherent worth and dignity, the sacredness of every body to the public square. This is our work to do, and it is urgent. Often when I preach in so-called blue states like 
California or my home state of Minnesota, people say, well, abortion and gender affirming care are legal here. What can we do? The answer is a lot. First, think about this. Does every person in California, trans folks, folks who might need an abortion, does everybody have unfettered access to the health care that they need? Not just because of laws, but actual ability to access that health care. I assure you that the answer is no. And so the work begins at home, making sure that everybody can access that care when it is legal. More broadly, I'd encourage every congregation to start by checking out the resources at sidewithlove.org slash upliftaction. There we have an array of webinars and trainings, events, opportunities for connection, organizing resources that will support you in the work on the ground. Collaborate with other California UUs through the UU Justice Ministry of California. Also, it is imperative that our congregations have deep, real, in-time relationships with local and state reproductive justice and advocacy organizations, organizations like Access Reproductive Justice, Black Women for Wellness Action Project, Women's Foundation California, National Health Law Program in your state. Same goes for organizations that are fighting for queer and trans liberation, such as Trans Family Support Services, Equality California, and more. Get on their mailing lists and read their emails. I'm guilty of not reading all the emails. Organize your friends to volunteer for their events. Respond to those calls to action. Build an action team in your congregation that is actively putting our UU values into action through partnership. And unfortunately, it is likely, and it is already happening, that we are going to have to get more intimate and personal than just outside advocacy. At Side with Love, we are working closely with coalitions that are working to build networks of support and hospitality for folks seeking abortion and gender-affirming care across state lines. As you well know, people are already pouring into California because you do have laws protecting abortion and trans health care. So this is the moment to be prepared to offer material and logistical support for folks who need to travel for care if you get asked. Keep pushing for more laws that protect people seeking care and that lower the barriers to access and that shield providers and parents from criminalization. I know that you are already doing so much. Unitarian Universalists broadly are doing so much. Our people are working where we can with what we have to do what we can. I want to thank you for showing up in solidarity, making the world safer for people with all kinds of different bodies and identities. And I want to encourage you to get connected and to continue to fight the struggle with us. May we all continue to be agents of change, affirming and supporting each other, working toward a world in which all of us are free. All of our bodies are treated like the sacred gifts they are. As I close here in gratitude and encouragement, I want to end with these words from Enfleshed, which is an online ministry that celebrates the joy, joyful, holy messiness of being embodied humans in community, working together for justice. They write, like clay in the hands of a potter, divinity shapes our lives and brings us into being. Each of us creative expressions of divine intention, sacred art glorious wonders. We are of beauty. 
We are from love. We come home in justice. May we have faith in these holy capacities, letting them lead us to all we must face, all that can be transformed, all that we hope to become. May it be so. Blessed be Ashe and Amen.